Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. These Tuesday night studies are a blessing. They're a blessing to me. I, I, I enjoy coming because you get to hear voices like Daryl and Fernando. And, and, God, and God moves amongst all the men. It's, it's, it's awesome to see. These studies are a good vehicle for all of us to burn the words of Elohim. Elohim, the plural form of God, which means three or more, you know, hinting to a trinity. That's, that's what Elohim, that's what they're talking about here, into our hearts. What we do here on Tuesday nights is, is hopefully, <laughs> ideally, leading to righteous living. But as men, we fail. But that's why we're here every week, right? To get realigned, to get redirected. The study of God's word leads to wisdom and righteous living, hopefully. <laughs> Second Timothy three fourteen through 16 says, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, and knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from your childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, reproof, (laughs) for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want you to focus on that complete because we're going to talk about Abraham tonight and essentially cover his death and how the Bible says he died full. A life ruled by God and God's word leads to a full life, full of what you may, of of what's important, what's really important. You know, we read of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, uh, 22. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. A full life will walk in the spirit. And, you know, and that's really what matters, you know, in the end. This is what we as men of God are to seek. This is what's important. But, you know, we live in a world full of obstacles and pitfalls and places to get distracted. And it's easy to lose sight of that. Again, coming back to why Tuesdays are important, because these are a a brief reminder, a a realignment, if you want. Again, I applaud you for showing up, because that means you care about your spiritual life. And if you're visiting for the first time, you obviously care enough to visit. If we shift our focus of God and his word, uh, the urgency of this world will come in. Notice how I didn't say the important things of the world. I said the urgent things of the world. It's the urgent things that distract us. The world will leave us empty. You remember that, those of you who are born again and what it was like before you came to Christ. The world is just an empty promise. It's, it's Vegas, shiny lights, a lot of lights. And the end of the weekend, you're broke. Yeah. C.S. Lewis, in the screw tape letters called Hell, the Kingdom of Noise. I, I've always loved that imagery because it's the noise that's distracting. It's the noise that keeps you looking this way or that way. It's amazing how you can be in a different room, but you hear a commercial on TV that you recognize, and, oh, what's that? Or you hear a baseball score and you, you react. The enemy does everything in his power to distract us from God and everything that leads to God. 
noise, static, hurry, rush, faster, 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 squirrel. (laughs) It's easy to lose sight. It's easy to be distracted. I want to read to you um, a little excerpt of the screw tape letters. It's, It's kind of an updated version. But it was written in 1942 by C.S. Lewis. If you've never read the book, it really is a good uh, story presenting um, the spiritual battle that takes pace, place where Screwtape, uh, a senior devil, is writing letters to his nephew, Wormwood, a lower-level devil. And they discuss the tactic, tactics and techniques for you know, harassing the enemy, being God, and <laughs> seducing and distracting and frustrating his followers, Christians. Uh, so this is a little updated version, little snippet. Good news. The latest condemnations have arrived from the council of the pit. You impress the lower downs, my zealous wormwood. They have heard of your po- proposals to the Noise Proliferation Committee, the NPC, Indeed, places of solitude and moments of silence grow ever more scarce in this, ever more scarce in the enemy's vast and vulgar dominion. Oh, what euphoria to see his insufferable creatures constantly multitasking, rushing to fill the dead air with a cacophony of cell phones and iPhones and Muzak and leaf blowers and motorcycles and 24-hour news cycles and sports channels and iPods and iPads and not to mention car stereos cranked up full blast, serenading the cityscape with the hellish sounds of heavy metal, talk radio, sports radio, hip-hop, and just enter whatever you want there. Those nauseating humans cannot escape their self-made dungeon of din. My pride bubbles like brimstone wormwood. A full life is a life full of God's Holy Spirit. Abraham died full. We have arrived at the penultimate Tuesday in our men's study this year, and we're going to open up Genesis 25. Abraham gets married to Keturah, a further fulfilling of God's covenant with Abraham in verses 1 through 6. In verses 7 through 11, We cover the death of Abraham and his burial. And verses 12 through 28, we learn of the families of Ishmael and Isaac, which include Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau. And 29 through 33, Esau sells his birthright. Last week, we learned in the previous chapter that Abraham, the father of the multitude, lived a life of faith and obedience. And through the many chapters that cover his life, we see a flawed man transition not only in name from Abram, meaning exalted father, but transition in character, where just last week we see him finish up, you know, one of his last acts of doing what was best for his son, finding him a bride, and and the beautiful pictures that, you know, Fernando laid out of the types of, of you know, the spirit types of the father type of the, of the church. We saw him do what's best for his son that he loved, as well for the futures of his people. Chapter 25 is, is really a transitional chapter. We close the story on Abraham. We see him full, happy. He ends well. That's the goal. That's the goal for all of us. Ending well is a theme for, for us all. Starting is easy, you know? Finishing well takes focus, diligence, and persistence. Finishing well brings smile, joy, and peace, and joy, and true joy. We find Abraham here at about 140 years old. He has another 30 years plus left. Uh, This really should be encouragement to all you old guys in here, <laughs> me being one of them, we don't even begin with Abraham in the Bible till we find him at the age of 75 when God tells him to go, and he went. And then, you know, 25 years later, um, 
he delivers the child of promise when he's 100, and we continue to learn from him all the way through his death at 175. God can use you at any age. That's really the lesson here. And honestly, there's really no retirement in Christianity. There's, there's, there's no gold watch. There's, there's just serving. And he can use you uh, in your older years. You have talents. If you make yourself available, God will find a place for you and use you. You know, uh, he can use you so his glory can be revealed in your life. And really, it's not for you. It's for the blessing of other people and hopefully leading them to salvation. In his 80s, Wesley, who traveled by horseback, okay, the preacher, preached two or three times a day, going all over the place, town to town. Now, he didn't have a PA. There was no microphone. So the guy was, there was a big crowd. He'd have to yell. He'd have to speak over people. He was spending lots of energy, and this is a guy in his 80s. Uh, Stephen Tompkins wrote that Wesley rode in his lifetime 250,000 miles and gave away 30,000 pounds and preached over 40,000 sermons. The guy was busy for the Lord. He died a full life because it wasn't self-centered. It was other-centered, and he was used well into his 80s. Michelangelo, he was in his 60s when he was commissioned to work on St. Peter, Peter's Basilica. Uh, and then he hung around for 20 more years finishing it up. I don't think he ever finished it. But again, it can be done. It's possible. It just takes a willing servant. Verses 1 through 5. Abraham again took a wife. Her name was Keturah. And she bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, forgive me with these names, Midian, Ishbak, Shua, Jokshan begot Sheba and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan were Asherim, Letsuyim, and Nemumin something. And the sons of Midian were Epath, Epath, Ephur, Hanak, Abadiah, and Aladah. For you young guys who are having babies, you know, write these down. These are probably really good. Your wife will love them. All these were the children of Keturah. Approximately... 20 years, again, depending on who you read and, and, and how you break it down, following the death of Sarah, Abraham marries Keturah, whose name means incense or perfume. Um, I would imagine at his age, being you know like 140 years old, she would bring a sweet fragrance to his life, a new bounce of, in his step and... <laughs> The promise of the multitudes, which started with Sarah, continues with Keturah and the descendants she delivers for Abraham. We know little about Keturah except that Keturah was a concubine in his camp. In First Chronicles 1, 32 and 33, we read, Now the sons born to Keturah, Abraham's concubine, and of course it lists the names again, all those were the children of Keturah. Uh you know, definition of a concubine could be someone who was there primarily to raise the kids or, or take care of the house or a specific task. But the truth of the matter is, for Keturah, this is kind of an upgrade. She becomes the wife. Um, again, depending on which commentary you read, some were saying they were having children before they were officially married. Some say the chronology, the chronology is correct. All I know is that these kids and this marriage do not change the covenant with Isaac, period. And that's what's important. That's clear, exactly. Verse 5. Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. All that he had to Isaac. What a beautiful picture we have of God pouring everything into those he loves. Here we see Abraham disposing all his wealth to his son of promise, Isaac. You and I are viewed as sons of the king. God pours into you and I spiritually if you let him. 
what God pours into us, our natural inclination, our reaction, it should be to pour it out, to serve. And, you know, I'm not talking about going around being Billy Graham or whatever, but just humbly doing whatever it is that God has set before you. In John 17, 7, we read, The Father gave all things to his Son. He gave all things to his Son. He's giving all things to us. We need to pour this back out. Pour yourself into God's word, and it will come out. God's desire is to pour his spirit into us so his glory can come out so that people can see him. Not you, not me. And as our lives change, God God will change you because it is he that will dwell within us. And those around you will notice. All things will find their ultimate destination in Christ. Anything you and I do that is not for him and his kingdom really results in emptiness, hopelessness. Conversely, everything I do for Christ positions me between the parallel lines of his will. If you're busy for God, you're doing God's will. If your heart is right, if you are humble before the Lord and you're seeking his will, you're pretty much going to be doing his will because you will be blessing others. As he pours his spirit, his new nature into us, we need to pour it out. Be a vessel of honor for the king. Practically speaking, it means that in, our, in your everyday tasks, work, home, school, otherwise, do everything to God's glory. That job you have, you're not working for that guy or for those owners. You're working for Christ. As long as you keep that perspective, then you're going to be blessed by the Lord each day because you know you're doing your very best for God. Pray God's will in all that, it, in all that you do. If you're a truck driver, be a truck driver to his glory. If you're a painter, be a painter for his glory. If you're a lawyer, well, there's just no hope for you. <laughs> Just kidding. Be the best lawyer for his glory. <laughs> yes, yes, I, I got that. <laughs> uh, we need more godly Christian lawyers. That would be awesome. Keeping his kingdom in the forefront of our mind puts us in a position to bless those around us, Christian and non-Christian alike. To the extent that you do this in any given day, is the extent, it's to the extent that you will experience his purpose and his contentment for your life. God will work through you. God will move through you. His word, the Bible says, does not go out void. If you share with anyone, it does not go out void. Isaiah 55, 11. His word will cut through the noise of this world, Hebrews 4.12. His word is sharp, sharper than any two-edged sword. If you are a believer sitting here tonight, it did for you. Somebody talked to you about Jesus. Somebody shared you with you in word or deed or whatever it is to get you to wake up. They poured out God's spirit. It wasn't that person. Was God moving? You guys have the power to tap into the creator of the universe. All of us in here tonight who are believers. And if you believe that God can move, he will move. He's just waiting for you to say, let's do it. When I was a young man in junior high, yes, I went to junior high a long time ago, someone actually began sharing with me and ultimately Six years later, it cut through the noise when I was a senior in high school. That person prayed and shared and wrote me letters telling me of God's love. I came to Christ, and that person's actions were a part of his plan. 
Because when I finally heard the gospel to her and I responded, I remembered all those letters, all those those talks and all whatever what was on that person's mind to share. You know, because for some reason God put put that into that person's heart to share with me. We should give, pour his love back out so the world can see his glory. Verse 6. But Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines which Abraham had. And while he was still living, sent them eastward, away from Isaac his son, to the country of the east. Abraham blesses his other sons, but he sends them away. Uh, Similar to uh, like Hagar and Ishmael. These are not the sons of promise. That is only for Isaac. Abraham, as a type of the father, displays God's sovereignty. God blesses who he blesses. In Romans 9, 7, the second part, it says, In Isaac, your seed shall be called. In Romans 9, 14 through 16, it says, God shows mercy on whom he shows mercy. We will read again of God's sovereignty just later in this chapter when Esau and Jacob enter the picture. There's also wisdom in this, in, in settling the estate while Abraham's alive. Uh, makes it less messy later on. There's no question of what's going on. Um, when he's alive and of sound mind, you know, the will's done. Abraham is preparing for the future of his sons and as ultimately the entire family. That's wisdom there. There's no question. There's not going to be a fight because, hey, it's done. The Lord wants us to have our house, our affairs in order. Remember in Isaiah 38, when Isaiah told King Hezekiah to get his house in order, you're going to die and not recover. I think that's pretty straightforward there. (laughs) It's a biblical principle. God wants our house in order. It didn't work out too well for Hezekiah because, well, you'll read it. You'll, You'll see what happened there. A lot of bad things came after that. Verses 7 through 11, Abraham's death and burial. This is the sum of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived, 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years. And he was gathered to his people, and his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the field of Ephron, the sons of Zohar the Hittite, the field which Abraham purchased from his son Heth. There Abraham was buried and Sarah his wife. And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt with, dealt at Beer Lehe Roy, the desert basically. When Abraham died, I think Isaac was 75 years old. Jacob and Esau were, I think, around 15. The days of the years is a Hebrew phrase which speaks of quality of life because a life is made up of days, individual, small, 24-hour slices, moments, really. In all, Abraham lived over 64,000 days. Abraham, God's friend, as we read in James 2.23, lived a life that walked with God. The Christian life is called a walk. It's, um, it's not because it happens one day at a time. I mean, I've never experienced a year <laughs> being awake for, you know, 365 days. I'm usually awake in, you know, 14 to 16-hour blocks and sleeping the other eight. It, it, it's, it's small, is what I'm trying to say. And, and you, you take care of what's in front of you, you know, and you trust the Lord for that day's needs. It's not called the Christian jump. It's not called the Christian leap. It's not called Christian warp speed. It's called a walk. Although all of us, all our walk, <laughs> they did require a leap at one point, a leap of faith. You wake up every morning and you have to decide you're going to walk today. 
For example, if you're one who works out in the morning, you must consciously commit to getting up and moving and getting, getting to your workout started. For some of us, it's quite literally get up and take a walk. The Christian walk is methodical. The walk is daily, as the old hymnal refrains, just a closer walk with thee. Granite Jesus, it is my plea, daily walking close to thee. Let it be, dear Lord, let it be. How does the tune go? I'm not familiar with the tune completely. That's it. That's the one, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Pete, I would imagine you would have got up and started singing, man. <laughs> I am weak, but thou art strong, Jesus. Keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as long as I walk. Let me walk close to thee. That should be the desire of our hearts. I love the old hymnals because they just really get to the core thing. Just a closer walk with thee. Will you choose to walk with God daily? That's really up to you. Nobody else can do it for you. For you younger men who, you know, do you put off reading his word? Well, all of us really. Do you put off reading his word and and do you put off serving and are you expecting when you're like old, like at the age of 40, <laughs> expecting to wake up to be a spiritual giant full of God's righteousness and wisdom? I don't think so. What we do today will affect how we arrive at the end of our days. Despise not the day of small things. If God has little before you, then there is little. If God has much before you, then there's much. You're fooling yourself if you think that when you get old, somehow there's a magic wand and suddenly you're going to be a godly, spirit-filled man. You need to know God's word today and, Lord willing, the next several thousand days, every day, a closer walk with thee. And here's the kicker. If you don't do this, if you don't do, if you don't daily seek him, his will or his spirit, his truth, at the end of your life, you're just an old fool, empty. Verse 8, Abraham died full. This is an awesome thought. Then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age and an old man full of years and was gathered to his people. The word of years is in italics meaning the phrase was added by the uh, Bible people who do that. <laughs> so literally the word, the verse reads, Abraham died full. Abraham died the death of the righteous. Psalms 116.15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Abraham died as he lived. He was a man of faith, obedient to God, and God found him righteous. Romans 4.3 tells us, for what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted as righteousness to him. Here's a simple truth. You usually die the way you live. If you're living a life of honor before the Lord, you'll probably be assured of dying the death of the righteous. And really, dying isn't the worst thing that could happen to you. Dying without Jesus in your heart is the worst thing that could happen to you. I want to f die full, full of the love and joy of the Lord. I tell Sam all the time, say nice things about me when I'm dead. <laughs> yeah, I know, you'll have to lie, but that's all right. <laughs> Abraham was gathered to his people. There is a spiritual connotation here that since only Sarah has died before him, that what the Bible is speaking to is the place of comfort called Abraham's bosom, the place of waiting for the fulfillment for the promises of God through the redemption of Jesus Christ. Who are your people and what will be said of you when you're, God, when you're gone? You want to die full, full of his spirit, full of his full of his spirit. Death can be a sweet release to the believer. In 2 Corinthians 5, verses, verse 1, it, it speaks of our earthly tent being replaced. 
you know, my grandmother was a sweet, sweet lady. Um, we grew up, uh, well, we, I was little, I was still too young really to remember, but my family, our first, our first house was down on Grand Avenue over by the music center over on Sunset. And my grandmother would, um, well, she would feed the homeless. She would feed the, the street people walking by and clothe and, and shelter some people sometimes. So much so that uh, back in the day, um, the guys uh, and the people walking the street, they would put a mark on the house saying that this is a house that's cool. Yes, you can come to this house and they'll give you soup or whatever it is that you need. She was that kind of lady. She, my grandmother, although I wasn't in the room, my cousins were telling me that, you know, she died peacefully. And right before she died, she said, Ya, ya estoy listo, Jesucito. And then she went. She says, now, now I'm ready, sweet Jesus, baby Jesus, I'm ready. And she let go. She died at peace. can't wait to see her again. You know, another friend of mine, his grandma, similar um, story where right before she passed, she reaches out because, you know, she saw Jesus and went home. Peace, women of faith. Verses 9 through 11. And his sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Marmore, in the field of Ephron, the sons of Zorchar the Hittite, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth. There Abraham was buried, there and his wife, and it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt in Be'er Laharoi. It's interesting how at these kind of times, at funerals and memorial services, families who are strange seem to come together. Isaac and Israel, Isaac and Ishmael um, were estranged, and, and somehow they, they came together and worked things out. I serve in the sound ministry here, and I've seen lots of studies and concerts and conferences and events and weddings and funerals and memorial ser- services. I, I know may, this may sound weird or herald and modish. For those of you who are old enough to recall the reference, um, I prefer the funerals and the memorial services these days. I find myself surrounded by people who are witnessing where the rubber meets the road in their lives. Our common end, the pastors are up there reminding those of attendance of the life choice we all must make. We did a service a few months back um, for a serviceman, for someone who served. And there was a flag, and taps was played. And then they opened the doors to the street, and the guns went off, startling the room into a deeper reverence. It got serious. The end of your life, facing it, is a serious matter. And how you live your each day contributes to that end. Isaac and Ishmael buried their father together. They put aside their difference as often happens at these, at these burials. The picture is really how of any reconciliation between two people or any parties takes place. Somebody got to die. For there to be reconciliation Someone's firmly held anger or bitterness or hate must die. For a man and wife contemplating divorce, somebody must die for reconciliation to take place. If there's ever going to be reconciliation between you and that person who hurt you or betrayed you, or somebody must die. We see this principle in our relationship with our Heavenly Father because of sin. We were estranged from Him. 
in Second Corinthians 5:18 through 19, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed us to the word of reconciliation. God reconciled us to himself through his own death. Then, once we were reconciled, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation to reconcile people to God as we shared with them the gospel, the good news, and ultimately reconcile people to each other as we love each other, love each other into the kingdom. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. James 4.10. For you to reconcile any relationship, ship, you have to humble yourself in order to die for, for that healing to happen. Reconciliation is a big deal to God. He doesn't want you at the altar worshiping if your relationship with him isn't right. It says in Matthew 5, 24, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come off your gift. Reconciliation is the Greek word dialiaso, a word used by tailors and garment makers with the idea of alteration. Practically speaking, Jesus is not saying throw it out. He says, fix the relationship, then come to me. Somebody has got to die. If there's going to be reconciliation with your wife, your son, your daughter, your daughter-in-law, your stepson, your stepdaughter, your boss, your coach, your neighbor, you have to die. Die to your self-will. All that junk, the anger, the bitterness, the frustration, and rooted, is rooted in the flesh. And the flesh wars against the spirit. The Bible says to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow, Matthew 16, 24. Lose your life and you will find it, Matthew 10, 39. And here's the thing. It's not that we have to die. The truth is, is that we get to. The picture being a new life. A new relationship comes through that reconciliation. It's a gift. Old things pass away. All things become new. Jesus reconciled all men to him through his death and subsequent resurrection. The reconciliation of all men does not happen without Christ's death on the cross. He went willing. Not my will but your will be done, Luke twenty two forty two, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. We, as Christian men, need to follow his lead and die to our own will. So whenever we find ourselves in this situation, that reconciliation can take place. Reconciliation that leads to redemption, the reconciliation that leads to the resurrection and restoration of friendships, of marriages, uh, relationship between brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, aunts, uncles, and cousins, people, people, God's children, yes. Reconciliation that demonstrates God's love, God's love. How will they know we are Christians? By our love, the 70s. Yeah, nice. Victor Hugo put it this way in his uh, book, Les Miserables. To love another person is to see the face of God. Reconciliation is, equals love. You're showing God's love. It's an action by, by dying yourself. You're dying to yourself. You, you are showing God's love. You're humbling yourself. The families of Isaac and Ishmael. Now this is the genealogy of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's maidservant, bore to Abraham. And these were the names of the sons of Ishmael. By their names, according to the generation, the first born of Ishmael, or 
Nebajah, then Kedor, Adbeel, Misbam, Mishma, Duma, Massa, and Hador, Tima, Jetor, Napish, and Kedema. These were the sons of Ishmael, and these were their names by their towns and their settlements, twelve princes according to their nations. These were the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years, and he breathed his last and died. And he was gathered to his people. They dwelt from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt, as you go to, toward Assyria. He died in the presence of all of their, um, all his brethren. Verses 12 through 8 round out the story of Ishmael. We don't really get much on him. Boy, I figure it these these few verses God gives us, you know, if he really wanted us to know more, he would have told us more. Um, interesting that in verse 18, the, 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 the word died in verse 18 is fell. It's different. It's a different word for death than Abraham's death. Abraham died full. Ishmael simply fell empty. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as his wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padan Abram. Hold on a second here. I guess that's right, yeah. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel, Syrian, of Padan, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his, li- uh, for his wife because she was barren. The Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, if, was, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations, two, pe- uh, two nations are in your room. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days are fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, uh, there were twins in her womb, and the first one came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So he, they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out, and he took his hand hold his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a wild man dwelling in the tents. And Isaac loved Esau because of this, because, of, because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. The daughter of a Syrian, when Rebekah married Isaac, she became one of God's chosen. You and I, who once walked in darkness, uh, we can be linked to Jesus. We can be linked to Jesus, but yet remain spiritually barren. What was the treatment for this barrenness? What did Isaac do? He went to the Lord. He prayed. In verse 21, Isaac here is an example to all husbands. When he went to the Lord, Isaac made intercession for his wife. Isaac does for his wife what the Lord does for us. Isaac doesn't pout. He doesn't have pity for himself. He prays. He goes to the Lord. He asks the Lord. In Hebrews 7.25, it says, Therefore, he is also able to save the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The best thing a person can do if he is aware of his own or somebody else's spiritual barrenness, is to pray. Verse 22, Rebecca goes to seek God's counsel with her troubles. God is our wonderful counselor, right? Isaiah 9, 6. The example here is that she sought counsel on the vertical plane and not the horizontal plane. She didn't go to her friends. She went straight to the Lord. Verse 23, like Rebecca, we have two nations warring inside of us the nation of the flesh and the nation of the spirit and it's quite simple which nation will you feed is the question 
Romans 8, 6, for to be carnally, mind, carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You know, that, that question of the flesh and the spirit, it just comes up. It's a daily battle, you know, but you can overcome the flesh when you are in his word, reading, when you are keeping God at the front of everything that you do. Esau names means hairy. <laughs> he was an outdoorsman, rough and tumble. Uh, Jacob names means heel catcher. He's the opposite of Esau. He's an indoor guy, kind of a mama's boy type. You know, today they would call him Metro. You know, it's interesting how how God continued to bless Jacob over his uh, disobedient brother. Even though Jacob often lived a less than perfect life, God is sovereign. God uses flawed people to achieve his will. So Jacob and Esau are a picture of the flesh versus the spirit. We in this room who are saved tonight can relate because we started out on the flesh before we were born again and touched by the spirit. Verse 28, Isaac loved Esau. Essentially because it says right there because he ate of his meat, the venison, or whatever kind of meat it was, you know. It appealed to his flesh. It was, it was probably more than that, but the issue here is that the parents take sides in their family's life here. And, and it's not causing unity, it's causing, you know, discord and strife. Rebecca loved Jacob, it says, Period. No reason. It was just unconditional. Another way to look at it is that the the flesh always needs a reason to love. You know, it, it, it it's in it, the flesh is interested in appeasing itself. You know, whatever it sees, it wants. It wants. It wants. It wants. The picture here of Rebecca's love for Jacob is a picture of how God loves us. God doesn't love you or me because we're so lovable. He, he, he loves me because he is love, period. I take great comfort in Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ's love is the ultimate love. All right, Esau sells his, Esau sells his birthright. Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I am about to die. So what is the birthright to me? Then Jacob said, Swear to me of this day, as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils, basically a bowl of beans. And he ate and he drank and arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Verse 29 and 30, the descendants of Esau are known as the Edomites. They will cause problems for the people of Israel. Edom, not meaning red, not only reflects the color of the, school, the stew that appeases his flesh, but... It reminds us of the, the color of the ground that Adam was made from. Again, another picture of flesh happening there. Now, verse 31 through 34, according to the Old Testament law, as the owner of the birthright, the oldest son would receive a double inheritance in Deuteronomy 21, 17. Secondly, it, it speaks to that he would assume the spiritual leadership of the family making sure the family was taken care of financially and that they walked with God spiritually. In other words, he was to be the, the priest of the home and he would have significant role in, in ministry. And as a type of the flesh, uh, Esau really could care less about this stuff, about ministry. Esau simply wanted to satisfy the appetites of his flesh. In Hebrews twelve sixteen, he is called a profane man 
profane, giving a picture being outside of the temple. He was not spiritually minded. He was just uh, like it described him earlier, just a type of the flesh. Jacob, whose name eventually becomes Israel, on the other hand, all his faults had this going for him. He did hunger and thirst after these things of the kingdom. He placed a great importance on the birthright from the very beginning. So he traded a bowl of beans for it. And because of this event, both him, he, both he and his brothers take a different course because of a 10-second decision. Do lives change good or bad in an instant? You bet they do. Every day. Every day. That's why the Bible teaches us to wait on the Lord and seek his counsel. How many lives are turned in a moment of weakness? Refusal and then surrender that lead to consequences. A lifetime. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Hasty decisions affect our lives as much as the well-prayed-for and waited-on decisions, often with equal and opposite effects. We need to learn from those lessons God has put before us in his word. And the Bible tells us he honors his word upon, above his name. I want to finish with this in uh, Matthew 11. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We need to serve the Lord. We need to study his word. We need to show his love. We need to rest in his love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you again for your grace and your mercy in our lives. I pray, dear God, that you just... Uh, Continue to fill us, Father. Use us at home and at work and with our families and help us to remain humble before you, Father, that we may serve you and just be vessels of honor to your glory, Father. And help us, Lord, to finish well, Father, to, to keep our eyes on you, Father, that so when we reach the end of our days that we can die the death of the righteous, Father, and that you will be glorified through this, Lord. We thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.